Hi, I'm Jillian Swinford. And I'm Haley Brolison. And this is Mother Nature Will Kill You. A podcast about the most horrific tragedies and the most triumphant survival stories that the wilderness can provide. So grab your backpack and maybe a bottle of wine and let's go on a wild ride into the unknown. Walking down this road I go, but I am going alone, running far, far from home, till I am skin and bone. evening, afternoon, whatever you're listening to this. <laughs> it's 10.15 a.m. here on the East Coast. Uh, time to talk about really gross things and listen to really gross things. Here you go. Mm-hmm. This is Mother Nature Will Kill You. <laughs> <laughs> A podcast. All about the horrific things that Mother Nature will bring to you. <laughs> um, I don't even remember what our intro is. It's That's funny so though, because <laughs> well, yeah, because like we never do it. It's our, it's like automated, so yeah. we don't have to think about it. Um, yeah, but it's funny because I kind of always listen to these kinds of podcasts like in the morning because that's when I'm most productive. So I like to have like a podcast in, and so <laughs> it's like a lot of stuff, a lot of intense stuff. Really early. It's funny. You listen to morbid podcasts in the morning, and I listen to like manifesting podcasts. In the <laughs> like how to manifest more abundance in my life. And Jillian's over here, like her arms were cut off, her legs were cut off. <laughs> Pretty much. Sometimes I swear I just have podcasts on because the voices soothe me. Not even because I'm 100% paying attention. It's just like the background noise that you need. Yeah. I feel that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, sometimes it's music, but sometimes it's it's just the voices of the, my favorite people that I like to listen to. Is that yeah. weird? No, it's not weird. It's comfy. <laughs> my parents told me recently that like on their long drives, they'll listen to our podcast and like. Oh, God. Some- I call them, I know, right? First of all, oh, God, sorry, mom and dad. Um, I call them pretty frequently. Like, if they're on the road, I, like, call to check in. Like, hey, how are you guys doing? Mm-hmm. And the last time my dad was doing that, he was like, oh, I was just listening to your podcast. It's so weird, like, hearing your voice, like, and actually talking to you. Cause ah. But he's also like, it's nice because, like, when I get tired, like, I put your podcast on and it's like you're here driving with me. And Aww. I'm like, oh, that, that's cute. Yeah. <laughs> No, um, my dad pretty religiously listens to us. He sometimes nice. he gets like an episode or two behind, but like he he's always calling me and like, actually, you missed this one part or this one back checking. Thanks, <laughs> dad. Uh, <laughs> cool, cool, cool. So maybe we should just have a like a dad recap every beginning of every episode. Like, oh my god, that'd be hilarious. Jillian's dad it. said we missed all of this stuff, so let's cover it real quick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, oh I gosh. mean, he does offer good perspective or he'll do like jokey things to like, you know, we were, Corey and I were, we we're doing an episode. I don't know if you actually listened to that episode because you were gone or sick or something. Yeah. Anyway, Hurricane. 
<laughs> we were trying to figure out why some people died very a la like diet diet law of pass is yeah kind of the story um and he called me and he was like it was bigfoot straight up bigfoot <laughs> that's funny yeah so we've not been together for like three weeks it feels like I think it's about three weeks um yeah you had a wedding I had to go into South Florida for a 5k and camping that yeah. was last weekend how was that so it was good as buggy as anything like so for those listening I was in Everglades National Park it is a swamp so it being buggy is not really out of the norm and mm-hmm. it's still like pretty hot down here so the the quote-unquote good camping months are like november december january february-ish like yep. the winter time and um i we camped at flamingo hot tip which is uh at&t cell service gets service at flamingo campground if you go visit and camp at flamingo and you have verizon as a carrier you will not have cell service <laughs> which I do not care about like that's one reason why I choose Flamingo because like it's a three hour drive away from home mm-hmm. you're camping and like I'm forcing myself to like disconnect yeah and so like that's that's nice and my boyfriend has Verizon too so like we just did not use our phones at all for the weekend which was really nice the bugs like there was a cold front moving in or passing through really like we were on the back end of this cold front that was passing through yeah so that's why we had night, great weather in Daytona it was awesome yeah so like the bugs were not that bad the first night Mm -hmm. but then the second night like once the cold front passed through like oh my god I could not sit outside at night I like needed to be in the tent and I've (laughs) never like I've never had that big of an issue with mosquitoes I'm not the type of person that gets bumps or like even red marks from getting bit by bugs but I got must be nice I am very blessed in that aspect <laughs> because I, I understand how awful it is to like have bug bites that itch and just bumpy and itchy and stuff. But like, I don't know the pain of it to that, the extent that other people have it. So mm-hmm. like, I'm grateful for that. But like the next day after we got home and like, I was showered everything like my whole legs, it looked like I had chicken pox. Mm-hmm. Like all of my legs were just like red dots and like, it was just awful. And so, like, it was a good time, minus the bugs. But, like, that's also what you're getting when you go camping in a swamp. You know what I mean? Like, you can (laughs) kind of, like, (laughs) like, you can't, it's like, I was just looking at the, um, have you heard of subpar parks? How it's like, yeah, they have a 2023 calendar coming out. So I was, like, looking at it. I was like, oh, do I want to pre-order this? Or do I want to just, like, save money and print off, like, a calendar month by month on my printer and put all the refrigerator? But the subpar parks, for those that don't know, it's this company that took all of the worst reviews for national parks and, like, made them into graphics. And so, like, the Everglades one on this map, it says, says, like, it says something like, not a whole lot going on if you're into that. Like, (laughs) and then, um, like, the one that's, what's the arch? Not arches in Utah. It's, like, the, the structure arch. It's not Canyonlands. Is it no, it, it's like the structure. It's like that metal arch. What oh, is that? oh, uh, that's St. Louis. Um, yeah. So like they have one for that arch and it, the caption or whatever is on the graphic. It says no real point to it. And then I like, mean, 
I agree. So <laughs> I just thought it was funny that it's like it really doesn't have a point though. Like that was kind of funny. <laughs> um and then like for white sands, it's the caption is like just a whole a lot of white sand here. And it's just like it's the stupidest like worst reviews because it's like you're going to a park like obviously there's not gonna be a lot going on except for nature like yeah yeah it those crack me the fuck up yeah um the sequoia one says there are a lot of bugs and they will bite your face off like (laughs) i mean that is a negative to me which we had the best weather when we were in daytona it was like like high 70s during the day and then got down into low 60s at night so we had that is actually really nice that's a nice surprisingly good time um for daytona <laughs> yeah because it is kind of like the jersey shore of of uh florida i feel like yeah it's got that the only vibe. Time I, yeah I'd say the only time i've been to daytona was like passing through so i yeah really it's very much. like ocean city maryland virginia beach kind of vibe i did get that vibe too yeah I yeah, but um, because of the hurricane that passed through, there was major erosion on the beach to the point yeah. where you really could only access the beach at like points where you could physically drive down onto the beach because all of the beach access like stairs and piers and all that shit was just fucking gone. Every oh, single God. one. Yeah. And, and they didn't even really get the worst of it. I think it, when it came across, it hit them as like a category one. Yes. Yeah. But I don't know if it was getting a lot of like back, you know, hit. I don't know. Yeah. But like, like it was all gone. The dunes were gone. And the pools and the hotels on the beach, which ours was oh. on the beach, were just falling onto the beach. Like the, it was crumbling uh, onto the beach. So we couldn't go in the pool. That's a bummer. Could go in the hot tub, though. So yeah. that was... But you guys also, like, kind of were mentally prepared for that because, like, mm-hmm. you knew, you know what hurricanes do to Florida. Yeah, so. I just, but, like, they didn't get hit by one that was that hard. I was like, I know. damn, it was, it was a lot of damage. And, you know, I was looking at Windfinder yesterday and mm-hmm. there is another cell coming towards yes. us. And it's going to hit, like, the West Palm area if it develops and stays that track. Yeah. And I think by the time it hits West Palm, it's just going to be, like, high tropical storm vibes um because the wind the max wind that is on wind finder is like 50 miles an hour or something like that so yeah just just below category one but yeah but i mean like we're never safe until november is done like my mom was like oh i thought you were in the clear i was like no like we still get some some issues in november for sure like i don't really consider myself safe from hurricane season until it's december right right no, I mean, it was crazy. And, and you know, Amanda was telling us they had a lot of flooding in Florida and, or in, sorry, in Orlando. Um, yeah. But it was nice to see her and it was nice. The venue was so pretty. Um, it had all like the Spanish moss and like big tropical plants. That was really fun. Um, That's awesome. But yeah, I mean, we just had a good time and we just kind of bummed around and it was good. And then came back and did Halloween and Ended up having a pretty nice Halloween weekend, so. It looked like a good time. I loved your outfits on, Thank I saw you. them on Facebook. It was so cute. Yes. Little, little baby Louise over here was so Yeah, that was awesome. She did such a good job having her hat on. Waylon could never. <laughs> <laughs> like, I tied that motherfucker on there. Like, it was oh, not did you? anywhere. <laughs> 
Still, Waylon could never. He would figure out a way to get that thing off. That's no. I know she's pretty good about wearing costumes. Which yeah, I'm like she's pretty neurotic about everything else. So she's got to be good for something, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Our um, Halloween, we did not get one single trick or treater, and I uh, got decorations and I got candy and everything, and I was like. like what the fuck i moved to a neighborhood and like our neighborhood does do a halloween quote-unquote event yeah and so like and we're on one of the roads there's three roads that like lead into the neighborhood and we're on one of the three roads and so i thought like maybe kids will come down this road to go into the neighborhood for the event and i guess we're too far down because Mm. no one came this way but, like, we are, like, two blocks from where everything starts happening. So, mm-hmm. like, we just had friends over and just, like, took some walking beers and, like, walked around the neighborhood and, like, well, saw what, what things were. But it was just a bummer. Like, I saw yeah. this meme and it was, like, man, it low-key hits real hard when kids don't show up at your door. Like, I got candy for y'all and everything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, we definitely... Stood up by children. We definitely get trick-or-treaters in this neighborhood because it's, like, one of the nicer neighborhoods where we mm-hmm. live. Um, but we definitely got less this year and Corey was a little confused and, and bummed out. And I think part of it was because we had a ton of rain forecasted Oh yeah, that night. And so I think people were like not out as long maybe, that's but, fair. um, and that's why I got that truck stuck in the mud. Like, a yeah, I yeah. could be rescued. It did make me feel better though, that when my texts showed up with like the treads and stuff, it took them it, a lot of effort to get it out. So <laughs> at least it wasn't Yeah, me, you're like, like, I know I'm not a dumb little girl. Like, I tried. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I literally, like, the truck is fucking real, rear wheel drive. So, oh, like, literally the worst. We have no four wheel drive vehicles. That's, like, work I feel vehicle. like if you're going to be in field work, you should at least have four wheel drive. I know. <laughs> like, Don't not get me rear roll. Yeah, and that's like the, field work 101. <laughs> you know, we had a patch of mud that was particularly slick and we literally could not go anywhere. Yeah. Because it had no, there was like no traction. So yeah, sounds like a fun, fun, fun time. <laughs> I want to pull up the the meme that I tagged you in just so people know like how this conversation got brought up. Yeah. <laughs> because I feel like they appreciate it as well. Well, um, and my dad says, you're never truly stuck. You know, as long as you can get out, technically you didn't get stuck. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. I guess. <laughs> but how how long do you have to be stuck for to be considered stuck? Like, is it an overnight thing, or like if you're stuck for three days and eventually get out, were you ever really stuck? Like, <laughs> yeah, Dad, answer that, that question. I, I need a time. I need a time scale for this. Like, if you so, drive a car into a lake and 20 years later it gets pulled up. Does yeah, that? I was never stuck. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the meme that I sent Jillian, it says, "Mad scientists are great, and I adore the lab aesthetic. But where, where is the love for unhinged fieldwork scientists? You drive down a back road in the middle of the night, and your headlights illuminate someone crouched down in the woods, completely covered in mud, holding five toads in a net. You're hiking in the remote mountains, and there's some guy perched on a cliff that shouldn't be." Im- that should be impossible to get to ranting about rocks they're gone when you glance back you're hanging out by the river one day and see a fully clothed person walk out of the water like godzilla and they immediately start recording something on a clipboard while muttering to themselves about salamander populations feral science degree in being encrypted 
<laughs> I sent that to Jillian and then she was like, you should hear about the day I just had. <laughs> Which in yeah. terms of getting stuck in the mud. <laughs> All right. So speaking of feral, do we want to jump into ye old donner party? I love ye old donner party. You're going to try to a time today with this. I'm excited. <laughs> This is our conclusion of spooky season. Yes, I know Halloween is over. Does that mean spooky season should be over? No. No, definitely not. It should go on until Thanksgiving, I think. So last episode, we talked about uh, all the things that led up to the Donner Party getting stuck Mm -hmm. at Truckee Lake um, in the Sierra Nevadas and basically amounts to a lot of bad information from people claiming that they have done a shortcut route before and it turns out the shortcut ended up being a long cut and they added about a month to their journey and had to uh, go across the Great Basin Desert in Utah which I feel like was not the best way Mm -mm. to go. So uh now we're up at Truckee Lake. Um, the Donner Party members are almost all of them are stuck at Truckee Lake. And there's like 20 feet of snow. And they're not going anywhere. And I just opened your pictures just so I had them pulled up. Yes. yes. Truckee Lake looks beautiful. It does. It does. Um, but like imagine 20 feet of snow. Yeah, no thanks. I'm never. I'm, I'm okay yeah. without that. Less beautiful. Um, yeah. Still beautiful, but like you don't want to be there when that happens, right? Um, but two members of the Donner Party are actually already at their destination of Sutter's Fort, which is modern day Sacramento, and they're waiting for their families to arrive. Okay. One of them got banished for murdering one of the party members, and the other one um, went ahead to get supplies and got sick and had to stay behind at the fort instead of returning back to the Donner Party. Okay. With supplies. So the two of them, so it's uh, Reed and McClutchen, are hanging out at Sutter's Fort, and everyone else is stuck in the mountains. So this is the scene. Time for chaos. All right. <laughs> so in our first episode of the two-parter, we set up the scene for tragedy and horror that ultimately cements the Donner Party in American history. So little did they know, things were about to get very grim um, for this collection of migrants, which is made up of nine different families, basically in covered wagons. They're trying to get to California. So they're setting in for a long winter and they don't really have a lot of food supplies at this point because they were expecting to be in Sacramento, a.k.a. Sutter's Fort, you know, by now. So Mm -hmm. So when we return to the Donner Party, we find that the party finally realized they were snowed in for the winter. They hasted into or re- bleh, retreated into their hastily constructed cabins that were already buried under 20 feet of snow. Um, the cabins that were built were highly contested and a few more were constructed and shared by more than one family. Um, imagine, and these are big families too. So imagine mm-hmm. sharing a cabin with another entire family. Yeah, like 12 people to one room, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Over the next four months, the remaining men, women, and children would huddle together in cabins, lean-tos, and tents, hoping and praying that the snow would melt and then they continue on their way. 
at this point, they were only 150 miles from their destination. Um, and I think the whole journey was definitely over a thousand miles. So they're very close in the big scheme of things to mm -hmm. their destination. You can see on slide two are pictures of these cabins. And then this very famous photo of these tree stumps. And this is following the winter that the Donners were snowed in. Um, and the trees are cut about halfway up, you know. Yeah. At first I was like looking down at the ground. I was like, I don't see any tree stumps. <laughs> <laughs> They're tall tree stumps. Yeah, stretch those tree stumps right out. So imagine a tree stump and then imagine it 20 feet off the ground. And that is because that is where the Donners could actually reach the trees to cut them. And that shows the height of the snow. Oh. Yeah. Oh, wow. And we'll put that on our Instagram because it is a very excellent visual. Yeah, that's a lot of snow. Yeah, because there's a guy sitting right next so you, to the trees so you can get a really good idea of like how high the snow was. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, like I said, meanwhile, at Sutter's Fort, Reed and McCletchen, who had ridden head of the wagon train for various reasons, realized that the parties, including their families, were not arriving. So they soon began a rescue mission themselves, attempting to rescue their stranded families and companions. As they moved up the mountain, rain turned to snow about 12 miles from the summit, which is where they all were. And it was so deep that the pair could not go any further. They cached their provisions in Bear Valley and returned to Sutter's Fort to recruit more men and acquire more supplies. Um, unfortunately, the Mexican War to the South had taken nearly every able-bodied man as soldiers, and Reed and McClutchen were forced to wait. Um, they, however, assumed that the party still had enough cattle to last them several months as food, um, not knowing that they had lost a lot of their oxen on the way up and due to mm -hmm. the Paiute raid, basically. Gotcha. So... They really don't know how bad it is. Um, by Thanksgiving, it had begun to snow again continuously for eight days. During the storm, five more feet of snow fell, and many remaining animals, including the mules, wandered off into the storm, and the bodies were lost under the snow, or the animals became trapped, um, but the party were unable to find them. Um, the Donner Lake group killed the last of the oxen for food on November 29th. A few days later, after the last of the cattle were eaten, the party began eating whatever else they could find, including uh -oh. twigs, bones, bark, and worst of all, boiled hides from the oxen that they would turn into a glue-like paste when they boiled it. And so it was like a Yuck. soup. Yeah. So what's up with twigs? Because this is not the first time I've heard about people back in that day eating twigs. Well, I mean, if there's nothing else to eat, there is some like nutritive value in like tree bark. Okay. And some medicinal value in tree bark. It's just really undigestible. Yeah. Cause like at Fort Jefferson, which is at, in the Dry Tortugas. I did the Junior Ranger program book, so I learned that back then they would make bread with dirt 
sticks, bugs, and I think like flour was the only like real thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I was curious. I was like, this is like the second time I've heard about people eating sticks back in that day. Yeah. When they like didn't have supplies. But I'm like, what? what's the nutritional value? Like I could see with bugs, like I get it. Yeah. But like sticks? It's the, 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 it's either the, the xylem or the phloem, one of those tissues um, in the tree that is nutritive enough for humans to eat it's just you have to really process it to get it digestible gotcha but it's like a dire situation kind of thing it's not like a you know for funsies right and it's like would you even want i don't know it's it's a last resort kind of thing basically i gotcha i mean this just goes to show you that like they really did not want to resort to cannibalism to the point where they were eating boiled hides and twigs. Yeah. And so very different. I know we talked a lot between like the Donners and Dahmer last time. Yeah. It's like maybe they just got the name confused and it's yeah. just still the same family. But also but, like I don't think anybody really wants to do cannibalism. Like, unless in they're Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. Right. That's a weird situation. Exactly. But you know what I mean. Like when you said that they were really trying not to heart trying hard to not revert to cannibalism. Like, yeah, I feel like that's like any sane person's thought too. like, let's right. do all we can mm-hmm. before we have to like play worst case scenario. Yes. Yes. And that's something that comes up in like all of these stories. Um, but it's still a very controversial decision to make regardless. So let's get into what, how that all kind of unfolded. So, um, so in addition to boiling hides, all of the leather that they had was subject to becoming food at this point, um, even shoes. So they ate all their shoes, which the exas- shoes again, <sighs> well, but it exacerbates their cold injuries, right? Cause it's freaking freezing cold yeah. and they're eating their shoes. So then their feet are frozen off. Right. Yeah. So not great. Some of the men tried to hunt, but there was little to no success as the snow was so deep that animals did not go up to this elevation this time of year. You know it's bad when even the animals aren't doing that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, yikes. Patrick Breen, the patriarch of the Breen family, who had joined the Donner Party in Independence, Missouri, began a diary through March 1st, and it would be one of the only written records of the ordeal, and I used some of that diary to do this research. Okay. Um, so by December 15th, the party experienced their first death after becoming stuck um, when Bayless Williams, who was an employee of the Reed family, died of malnutrition. Um the party realized they had to do something or more people would die of starvation and the snowfall was now 22 feet high. Um, so on the 16th, nine men, five women and one child, and they say child, but they were like a teenager, gotcha. um, departed on hastily constructed snowshoes um, that they made out of twigs and branches and they were attempting to travel 100 miles down to Sutter's Fort. And these are basically like the most healthy, physically able people in the camp um, okay. that they were sending off. So the group also included two Native American guides um, that 
had been brought back from Sutter's Fort to kind of guide them over the mountains. I feel so bad for these Native American guys because they were probably like, I did not fucking sign up for this shit. Yeah. <laughs> so they called their party the Forlorn, Forlorn Hope Party. They brought within meager rations, which limited as they were, only lasted the group six days. Um, oh, God. Yes. So six days of rations to go 150 miles. Yeah. Yep. On snowshoes, which is not easy. I've done it. Um, no. Yeah. I'm trying to think of how many miles you would make a day. Well, um, it depends on the weather and it right. depends on your physical ability. Right. Um, is that getting into the story more? Um, I can't remember. We're going to find okay. out. <laughs> okay. I can't remember if I say We're on this ride together then. <laughs> yeah. Um, in a journal from the members of the Forlorn Hope Party, they described the group being determined to succeed or perish. So it's kind of a suicide mission. Mm-hmm. And that even with their snowshoes, they sank 12 inches at every step. Oh, but there we go. However, they succeeded in traveling about four miles a day. Okay. Do that math. Four times six is 24. No, 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 no. Um, I'm not going to. No, it'd be 150 divided by four, and that'll give us how many days. It would take them 37 days. So over a month. (laughs) They had six days of rations. Yeah. So you can see where this is going. Um, yikes so they were already weak from starvation and for the next three days no one ate as they traveled through extreme high winds and freezing conditions members began going snow blind due to the lack of protection on their eyes um, from the glare of the snow oh which is a thing if the sun that is, is a thing shining yeah. on the snow and it reflects back in your eyes you they can start burning and you start going like blind it's yeah i a- mean like i've never actually had that happen but i will say like if it's like a pure white snow day and i step outside like i need to wear sunglasses because my eyes are sensitive to like, right light. same and like yeah. when i've been skiing before i've gotten sunburned yeah on my face from the glare reflecting off the snow right so totally a thing so one of the members of the party charles stanton who had already gone to sutter's fort with mcclutchen to bring back supplies to the group and he actually returned from sutter's fort with the native american guides um he was exhausted and snow blind and unable to keep up with the party and told them to go on so he was already safe and he chose to return to help the party get over the mountains good guy so. thing to do but also like I, hindsight's 2020 should have yeah, just stayed yeah. where you are <laughs> so he never rejoined the group and was assumed dead um uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. because of this that action that he did earlier he is generally regarded as the hero of the party because if he hadn't gone ahead to sutter's fort to get supplies before they had all crossed the mountains all of the members of the donner party would be dead oh yeah all of them like, that's how desperate their food situation had gotten even before they had crossed the Sierra Nevadas. God. So. That's not good. A few days later, the group hit a blizzard and could not keep a fire lit for warmth. Four members of the party, all men, all died of exposure and hunger, including the Graves family patriarch, 
Franklin Graves um, and one of the American guides named Antonio. Mm. It was on Christmas Eve that the members of the Forlorn Hope Party began to talk of drawing straws to supply their food stores, but the idea was shot down. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a great idea. Well, instead, they decided to wait until members of their party died before eating them. So instead of drawing straws, they were like, well, let's see how many just... people are going to die in this blizzard. It's all a terrible thing. Yeah. So on Christmas Day, a man named Patrick Dolan, clearly suffering from hypothermia, stripped his clothes off and exposed himself to the storm dying. And after the blizzard on the 26th, they decided to reluctantly begin eating the dead. So it was literally the day after Christmas that this decision was made. Ugh. Which, like, this this story is so very, like, tied to all these, like, American holidays about family, like, togetherness and eating. Yeah. It's, it's very, very ironic. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not going to get really into the grodiness as much of the eating but there are some accounts from the diaries on you know what the camps look like afterwards that I am going to talk about and if any of that is going to make you uncomfortable this is not the episode for you this is not it so I'm going to try my best not to be super duper gross I could be really gross I've read really gross things at this point I'm going to hold back so (laughs) I was going to say, unfortunately for me, I do not have a choice in this, in this nope. matter. So. No, nope. you signed on to this shit. Yeah. Last episode, too, you said you really wanted me to continue and finish the story. So I I mean, this is interesting. Don't get me wrong. But like there is something about people eating other people that just gives me the heebie-jeebies. And yeah, the fact that you're already saying you could be a lot more graphic with this than you're going to yeah. be. is like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> I know too much. <laughs> yeah. Um, but your brain can handle it. Mine's sensitive. <laughs> for whatever reason, I am a very <laughs> sensitive person, but for whatever reason, I'm like, I just need to know. I need to know. Yeah. Anyway, so they continued eating the bodies on the journey, losing three more to exposure and starvation as they moved down the mountain. They vowed to restrain themselves from eating the dead flesh of a relative because they you know everybody had members of their own family Um, yeah however everyone else was fair game so that was kind of how they kept it you know moral essentially a member of the party described the family or the party members feet being so swollen because none of them had shoes So they were wrapping their feet in rags and blankets and they were hiking 150 miles with no shoes because they had Uh, their shoes. So the feet were getting real weird. Um, I just don't think my body could handle any of these things that these people have done. Like, I think I would vomit immediately. Like, I don't think I could eat shoes. Right. You just you'd be one of the first dead people. (laughs) I definitely would. Yeah, I know. No doubt. I'm like, I cannot. My body can hardly handle anything that's like fried. I can't eat like (laughs) shoes. You kidding me? (laughs) The remaining American guides, too, saw the cannibalism as horrifying and did not take part. However, the guys were not in as bad condition because they joined the party 
just as they were making their way over the Sierra Nevada. So they weren't starving. They had been at, you know, the fort and all that stuff. So they had a better body condition even at this point. Yeah. So ultimately they were not as desperate. At this point, the sanity and morality of the party began to break down as one of the company proposed they kill the two remaining uh, Native American guides. That's a little racist. Yes, it is very racist. Just like they're trying to help you and you're going to kill them because they're not part of your family or you're part of your pack. Yeah, it's very glossed over for sure. Um, in many retellings of this story but I do want to point out that they were like let's target these people because they're not us yeah that's exactly what that is yes so the two guys were named Lewis and Salvador one of the members in the party grew a conscious and told the guides of this talk that they had all had about them and the guys decided to start making camp far away from their companions. They're like, we're going to go camp over here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. You know, I just don't think we're friends anymore. This is getting really weird. It's just a business relationship. So, yeah. Y'all are we're looking just... at me like I'm a burger. I just don't know how I feel about this. Like, I know I'm a snack, but also let's not take that literal. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Um, So it didn't matter, though, that they were camping away because the snowshoe party could just follow the trail of blood from their feet. So they kept following them. Yeah. They were like, let's be inconspicuous about this, guys. And it's just like trails of blood. Yep. So on January 5th, Mr. Eddie and Mrs. Graves actually managed to kill a deer with a rifle they had brought, um, which is great which is awesome what was the name salvador and lewis lewis saves them another day yep even though they now had non-human meat to eat a man named foster tried to kill mrs mcclutchen whose husband is down at the fort by the way Mm -hmm. on the grounds that she was a nuisance and was lagging behind wow you're sandbag and son of a sandbagging son of a bitch is just gonna die it's like yep you're weakest link goodbye yep and just because she was annoying she deserved to die so it's not even a racist thing now it's just a thing everybody's trying to kill everybody so however the remaining women i'll point this out the women were the one who stopped him and grabbed him and stopped him from killing her yeah and the remaining men were like hey, if you ever try that again, I'll kill you. But they weren't the ones that stopped her or stopped him from, like, trying to kill Mrs. McClutchin. They were just like, hey, don't do that. Women used excessive force to save a life. Men used half-ass verbal cues. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Don't you like that? Hey, hey, don't don't do that. That's not nice. (laughs) No, stop it. Don't. No. <laughs> the women are just like throwing right hooks, uppercuts. <laughs> so so that happens. Um, but they ate the deer. So on July 9th, they finally caught up to the Native American guides who were in really bad shape. 
as they had not had food for eight or nine days and had been without fire for four days. They decided they would not last much longer and killed both of the guides and ate them. So the deer went quick. And when you're in this kind of situation, apparently, even when you get food, because you're so starving, like all you think about is your next meal. And you're actually more hungry than you would be if you were like healthy basically yeah if that, if makes, that sense. makes sense so it like does. the deer was not enough to satiate anybody yeah well I was just about to make a comment like you would think that they would try to still ration the deer mm-hmm. like so they're like okay we can have x amount of meat per day and that's right. like bare minimum we'll get through it mm-hmm. and like hopefully it'll last us a week yeah and then we can try to aren't the organs like the most nutritious so you would want to like eat those first and then save yeah. like the meat so yeah that's where i'm like you i feel like i don't i don't know how much they knew obviously and i'm not smart at all but yeah. like i feel like it would be the situation where you would ration organs first and then yeah. you would go to rationing the meat yeah i think too i mean they had so many people because originally they started out with 16 yeah Um, and yes some people have i think six maybe five or six people have died at this point so like like, 10 11 is still a lot of people to feed with just one one deer deer. yeah deer aren't that big no too and i don't think they were making 100 percent good conditions at or decisions at this point because your brain is not functioning properly that's fair you know so Yeah, so they ended up killing the Native Americans, which should surprise literally no one. But things- literally since day one of America, that's been happening. Yeah, like, like fucked of, up. Yeah, it's great. The funny and ironic thing is things began to approve on January 12th um, when they ran into a group of Native Americans. Oh, are they going to kill them too? They're like, oh, no. cool. We just uh, have a bunch more meat. This is the first sign of other human beings that they had seen. And the Native Americans gave them some acorns that they like they had huge stores of acorns that they had done for the winter. Um, And so they gave them some food. So they were like, well, we won't kill you. You know, (laughs) you helped us out. So we won't kill you. But also the other ones were helping you out, too. Um, Quick question. Yeah. How many days after they killed the first two was it Salvador and Louis? Is mm-hmm. that his name? Um, I don't know why I can remember Salvador, but not Louis. <laughs> um, how many days after killing them did they run into this group of Native Americans? Three days. Three days. So yeah. they could have not waited three more fucking days. Well, they were get. They didn't kill any of them. They got food from the Native group. No, I know, but it's like, yo, you couldn't like you didn't have to kill Louis and Salvador. Like you were like. But they didn't know. Hindsight's 2020. I know. (laughs) But still, it's like just thinking about it. It's like you could have waited three more days. Yeah, Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. How did they kill them? Did they just like take an axe to their head in the middle of the night when they were sleeping? I don't know exactly how they killed him. I don't really want to know exactly how they killed him. I don't want to know either. I was just curious. Even though I I just asked a question. (laughs) I wonder if they just probably like smothered them or something because they were so weak at that point. Yeah. You know, I don't even think they had to get bloody about it. So, you know, great, great stuff. So on January 19th, 
1847, about a month from when they had initially set out. There were only seven snowshoeing survivors of the Forlorn Hope Party, and they reached the western side of the mountains to a settlement called Johnson's Ranch. Only two men out of the nine had survived, but all five women survived the journey. Which there's a lot of debate over why that happened. And to me, it seems pretty obvious women require less like food than men do. Yeah. I, I think that might. And I feel like m- maybe to the men were trying to be chival- chivalrous, 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 right? And like gave food <laughs> to the women to get them to like keep them alive, kind of thing. Yeah. You know, that's my. But thought. I mean, also, you can take. The difference between me and my boyfriend as an example that man eats so much yeah and like i it's like a, a i have to adjust to our grocery bill now i'm like babe this is okay <laughs> <laughs> like, what the fuck i think too we also have more natural fat just to because... cushion around like the reproductive mm-hmm. areas and stuff yeah that's fair that's my theory anyway yeah you know so Eight people in total had died. Seven members of the party had been cannibalized. And the two Native American guides had been murdered for food. So I'm going to be very clear that they were murdered. So just saying. Upon reaching Sutter's Fort, the news was dispatched to neighboring settlements to rally the residents to save the rest of the Donner Party. So at this point, it is rescue time we understand the you know horrificness of what is going on just based on the experience of this party alone you gotta imagine what's happening back up at camp yeah where there's literally like like dozens of people you know and a lot of children a lot of children yes so on february 5th the first relief party um which included seven men left um, the nearby settlement of Johnson's Ranch. A second party headed by James Reed, who was the original guy who got the whole Donner party going. So he left two days from Sutter's Fort later. The first party reached Truckee Lake on February 19th, which is about a month after the Forlorn Hope Party had reached Johnson's Johnson's Ranch. So it's taking them like a month to go back and forth between this place. Okay. Um, partially because of the snow. Well, mostly actually because of the snow. So they found the camp, but they thought it was deserted because they didn't see anybody. But then this ghostly figure of a woman appeared at the door of one of the cabins. She was alive, but like skeletal. Oh. Yeah. So. Like at skin this and bones. Point, Yes. At this point, 12 members of the party at Truckee Lake were dead. Of the 48 people remaining, many were clinging, like barely clinging to life. Mm -hmm. And some had begun to lose their mental faculties. Sorry. (laughs) Hard words. Words are hard. Um. There was a problem, however, because not every member could be taken out at that time 
since it was impossible to get pack animals through the snow up to the camp and many of the party were too weak to leave on their own volition. Yep, I would be too weak. Yeah. I'm like, power in numbers, I might as well just stay here. So only a few food supplies were brought for the remaining members because it was only like seven men. They couldn't carry all of it up. Mm -hmm. And only 23 of the 48 people left with the first relief party down to Sutter's Fort. This included 17 children. The Reed family, however, the entire Reed family was finally reunited after five months as the second relief party that was led by James Reed ran into the first relief party that was coming down from the camp. So all members of the Reed family, save for the grandma, Sarah, who had died very early on in the journey, all of them survived the ordeal. And they are one of the few families that are able to um, claim this. That's wild. And also, to our knowledge, none of them um, took part in cannibalism. Yeah. And also, the only reason the grandma died was because she was sick. Which was, she had tuberculosis, so it was like, yeah, wow. Yeah. So he actually (laughs) made out okay, even though he got banished from the party. Wow. So they were lucky. Sometimes being banished is a good thing, I guess. I guess so. So on March 1st, Reed and the second relief party arrived at Truckee Lake. It was here that they now found evidence of cannibalism among the camp. So in that time, the party had started resorting to cannibalism up there as well so they found evidence of body parts in cook pots and body mutilation of the dead one rescuer described the scene saying there were human skeletons in every variety of mutilation a more revolting and appalling spectacle i never witnessed so it's not looking real great so At this point, however, many of the dead were simply buried in the snow to store for later. Like the snow was turning into their refrigerator, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the true level of cannibalism was not yet apparent. The following day, they arrived at Alder Creek, which is where the actual Donner family was staying because they were like six miles behind because they were fixing a wagon axle at the time that the snowstorm hit. Okay. Um, so the Donner party had also resorted to cannibalism, but because it was all their family, they were eating their own family members. Ugh. They couldn't even do like what the forlorn hope party did. We're like, okay, yeah. I'll eat. I won't eat my brother, but I'll eat your brother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're still eating people though. It's gross. Uh-huh. So oh god where was i oh there we go okay so reed at this point was determined to get as many people out as he could because like this was awful so on march 3rd he left with 17 of the starving party members but two days later they got caught in another blizzard so by the time it cleared most of the party members were too weak to travel Reed brought one of his rescuers and three of the most able-bodied party members to go to a place where they had cached food along the way, um, leaving the rest up at a place that would become known as starvation, or sorry, starved camp. So they're even having 
issues bringing these people down the mountain like yeah um on march 12th a third relief party led by william eddie and william foster who were the male survivors of the forlorn hope party they reached that starved camp here they found mrs graves was the matriarch of the graves party her family and her son both dead their bodies, along with the body of Isaac Donner, were clearly cannibalized by those at Starve Camp. They left supplies with the group, promising to bring them off the mountain when they returned from Truckee Lake. They arrived at Truckee Lake Camp, finding both of their sons dead. Ugh. Two days later, the party reached Alder Creek, where the remaining Donner family members were stranded. George Donner was dying from an infection in his hand that had happened months earlier on their climb up to Truckee Lake when they were fixing their broke wagon. So he's not healing because he's not getting any food. This is like the biggest shit show of all time. Oh, yeah. I told you things were going to get fucking. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Tamsin Donner, who was his wife, thought though she was relatively healthy herself, would not leave her husband and sent their three young daughters down with Eddie and Foster. The relief party left with only four more members and left those that were too weak to travel behind, including Tamsin and George Donner. Two of the rescuers were left behind to care for those remaining, but they soon left to catch up with the relief party because they were like we don't fucking want to be here yeah <laughs> which is get me out of this hellhole which is kind of sucky because i'm like you guys have full bellies so you can take <laughs> care of these people just saying yeah. so we still have people up on the mountain it's like late march at this point oh my god and there's still a few people that need to be rescued so the fourth and final rescue party left in late March, but were once again slowed down by a snowstorm for a few days. Finally, on April 17th, over six months since the Donner Party had become trapped in the Sierra Nevadas, the final relief party reached the two camps. And here they found Louis Kiesberg. He was one of the most contentious members of the group. Because he's the guy who abandoned that old man, this Belgian man called Hardcoop, way back when, when they were crossing the Great Basin, because they were trying to, like, lower the weight in their wagon so their oxen mm-hmm. could. He, he was the guy who, like, threw the old man out of his wagon. Okay. And because I was wondering no- who this picture was of him. I was yeah, like, who are these so people nobody on this slide? would take in that old man. And so that old man was basically left to die. Because yeah. he couldn't walk anymore. Yeah. And so That's- people didn't really like him. And he was a, like a difficult person anyway. Yeah. So this is the guy that they found. And this is the description of, of what they saw. So he was living among the mutilated corpses of his fellow party members. As the snow had begun to melt at this point and revealed their now decaying bodies. Because remember, they stored all the bodies in the snow. Mm-hmm. And now everything's melting. Mm. And there's just one just crazy fucking guy living there. Ugh. Um, rescuers describe the scene as scattered with battered bones, 
or skulls and bones stripped of flesh among other sites too dreadful to put to record. George and Tamsin Donner had both perished, leaving their children orphaned. And Keysburg admitted to eating Tamsin. Ugh. In addition, Keysburg had about $225 worth of gold that had previously belonged to the Donners in his waistcoat. Despite suspicions from the rescuers, they brought Keysburg down the mountain and he was the last member rescued and arrived at Sutter's Fort on April 29th. So it took the, you know, four rescue parties and three whole months to be able to actually rescue everybody. God. And this guy's looking pretty suspicious now. Yeah, it sounds like he just killed everyone in camp and ate them and just was like, oh, I'm going to just do my own thing. And then steal their money. Yeah. So that's what it looks like. In total, two-thirds of the men in the party perished, but two-thirds of the women and children lived. So that's okay. better. Yeah. 42 people died in total and 47 survived. So about half of the group died. Yeah. Which is a lot. Um, five members died before reaching the mountains. 35 died at the mountain camps or trying to reach Sutter's fort with two being murdered. Mm-hmm. And one died after reaching the fort because they were in such bad condition. Gotcha. Many of the surviving members lost toes or fingers to frostbite. It's estimated that as many of 21 party members had been eaten. Um, Only two families lost no family members, including the Reeds and the Breens. Um, And this is because, like we talked about before, the Reeds had been one of the very first families to be rescued fully by the first rescue team. So they didn't have to resort to cannibalism. And the Breens had not shared any of their supplies with their fellow party members. So they all survived, basically. Yeah. Which, at first you're like, that's so selfish. But I'm like, I don't know, man. That's your family. Yeah, I don't think that's really all that selfish. It's like you're traveling with your family to try to, like, give them a better life. And then, like shit starts hitting the fan and it's not your problem that shit starts hitting the fan you're like no i'm not gonna fucking help you like i gotta take care of my family right so on one hand i'm like it's kind of selfish because it's like clearly people are starting to eat other people but on the other hand i'm like i gotta protect me and my own yeah i think what's more fascinating is the fact that like they were not like donating supplies and no one killed them out of spite yeah, because, like, morality really broke down on this, this yeah. little adventure. And I'm sure these were all, like, very, for the time at least, normal and sane and moral, you know, people. A lot of them were. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were just like, you know, you and I. But it's crazy what a lack of food can truly, like, just, just do to a human psyche. Yeah. Like, it's it's crazy. I mean, like, I get hangry if I haven't eaten in three hours. So. <laughs> it's going to make you think I... about eating a lot today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so newspapers and the media took advantage, advantage of this salacious story and accused the travelers of bad conduct, cannibalism, and murder. Because every surviving member had different viewpoints and memories were altered by the extreme stress and starvation, 
it is very difficult to pick apart what actually happened specifically when it came to the cannibalism aspect because a lot of people weren't going to write down every single person they ate you know yeah because they're probably ashamed many survivors blamed lansford hastings for the tragedy and he was the guy who was like hey this is shortcut uh (laughs) And some still blamed James Reed for not taking his friend's advice that warned them about the route, even though James Reed was responsible for much of the rescue efforts. At least eight survivors personally admitted to eating human flesh, and the evidence was clear from the journal and diary accounts of both the survivors and the rescuers that this was happening. So they're about to kind of step into like a media firestorm after this. Which, like I said, it's still a very contentious thing to do, even if you're in survival mode to mm-hmm. eat another person. It's very yeah. taboo. Sorry, I was going to say, the um, the one story, what was it? The, the Uruguayan U- rugby team? Yes. Yeah, like the one teammate that had, like, religious issues with eating another. Mm-hmm. Like, he did end up eating somebody, though, right? And he was like, I, yeah. I need to, like, ask for forgiveness for the rest yeah. of my life for this. Right, I remember. Which I would be this in the same boat. I was oh like, yeah, I, I would never be able to get past that. And I say like I would never eat another human, but like I don't know. I really nobody knows until they're in that situation. You yeah. don't know. Like the, your brain does really weird things to you, like when it wants to keep your body alive. Yeah, I hope to never be in that situation though. So. <laughs> <laughs> so. At this point, the survivors began coming out with their or coming out with their stories. Um, Patty Reed, who was 12 years old during this experience, wrote to her cousin during the dreadful winter of 1847, saying, "Oh, Mary, I have not wrote you half the trouble we have had, <laughs> but I have wrote." Girl, you, you would not believe this shit. <laughs> Basically, but I have wrote you enough to let you know now that you don't know what the trouble is. So it's basically like, girl, this shit we went through is so fucked up. (laughs) You are not going to believe this. Uh, Thank God we have all got through. We were the only family that did not eat human flesh. Um, All members of the Reed party survived and the family settled in San Jose, California. So they oh. did make it, but maybe not in the way that they wanted to make it. <laughs> yeah. So like at what cost? Yeah. So much trauma. Right. Yeah. Many of the survivors, unfortunately, were children who were also orphaned because both of their parents died. Oh, that's so, that's yeah. Sad. So a lot of young women and teens were forced to marry in order to get by especially, you know, young women. Um, yeah. And also, of... like, if someone from that, like, that group that I was with offered to, like, take me in their home, like, I wouldn't fucking trust them. I'd be like, no, you ate my parents. Right. Like, <laughs> no, I don't want to live with you. So much trauma. So uh, 13-year-old Mary Murphy married an abusive man that year. She was 13. Um, yeah, that's also part of the trauma that escalates is in your, like, in abusive yes. relationships. That's not fun. No. So she did survive her first marriage. And I don't know if they got a divorce or if the man died, but she ended up marrying 
a man named Charles Colvillod, and he was a miner who established the town of Marysville, California, which he had named after her. So thankfully, she did get a happy marriage later. Not everyone was so lucky. Uh, 20-year-old Mary Graves was also orphaned by the experience and married just three months after being rescued. God, that stinks. But her husband was murdered the following year, which continued the slew of tragedy in her life. Yeah, it's too soon. So let's get back to Louis Keysburg, who was the last guy they found. Mm-hmm. Um, he was surrounded by controversy following the condition he was in when he was rescued and was ultimately cast by the media as the worst cannibalistic villain of the whole ordeal. He had yeah. actually eaten two children, and yeah. Tamsin Donner, who was the He's wife of George Donner. Fucking asshole. So rumors swirled that Keysburg had actually killed Tamsin in order to eat her because she was relatively healthy when the third rescue party had left her to tend to her dying husband. Many people claim that Keysburg bragged to them about having eaten human flesh and that he described Tamsin's liver as the sweetest morsel he'd ever tasted and better than California beef. Ew. So that's not great. A great look. Ew. It's like, ooh. It's like he, ugh, I don't even know what to say, but it's like he likes eating human flesh. He's like, oh, I would have never had this experience if I almost never, like, <laughs> never died. And now that I've had this experience, I can't go back. I love eating humans. Yeah. So it's disgusting. This, yeah. Better than California beef. Fuck off. Like, ew. <laughs> disgusting as a human so i will add to this that these are rumors from other people okay there's no proof that he actually said this but and still ew yeah so this was only worsened by the fact that many people didn't get along with him on the wagon train at best he was described as eccentric and disagreeable and he did have a history of leaving people to die on the trail like that old man um, mm-hmm. he also had a history of abusing his wife and children on the trail. So that doesn't look good either. Mm-hmm. Um, Keysburg himself never denied that he cannibalized Tamsin, but did deny murdering her and said that Tamsin had actually requested that Keysburg take the Donner's goods to return it to her surviving children that were at Sutter's Fort. That was what he told rescuers and everyone else. So. His rumored comments about the way that Tamsin tasted could have been a normal reaction for those going through starvation. Human meat would taste good to someone who has literally nothing else to eat, and PTSD from an experience like this could provoke psychotic reactions. Yeah. He ended up suing the relief party for spreading these rumors. Although the court sided with him, he only received $1 for damages and was expected to cover court fees. One dollar. Yeah. In addition, a smear campaign was run against Keysburg as treasure hunters and the military were looking for the Donner treasure, which was the buried goods of the Donners and the other that they had cashed before they crossed the mountains. Mm. Um, And uh, Keysburg didn't give them any information on where it was buried. And so they did kind of run a smear campaign against Keysburg. So 
Kiesberg reputation was completely destroyed and he was ostracized and he lived in destitution, caring for his two mentally disabled daughters. He received or described a stark contrast to those rumors that had been spread about him about eating flesh, describing the experience. The flesh of starved beings contains little nutriment. It is like feeding straw to horses. I cannot describe the unutterable repugnance in which I first tasted the first mouthful of flesh. There is an instinct in our nature that revolts at the thought of touching, much less eating a corpse. It makes my blood curdle to think of it. Mm. So there's a lot of, you know, kind of competing viewpoints here. Yeah. So I don't want to say that he's like a great human being because obviously there was evidence of abuse and he did leave a man out to die. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there was a lot of things going on in the media and with other members of the party that probably painted him in a worse light than what it actually was. But I did think this whole story was very interesting, you know. It is. So in the 1870s, an author was researching the event for a book when he arranged for Kiesberg and Eliza Donner, who is the uh, the picture of the girl that you asked mm-hmm. about. Yeah. So she was the daughter of Chamson and George, who was just four years old during this experience. Oh, my God. And he wanted them to reconnect, which is so fucked up. But yeah, no, that's um, not okay. Upon seeing Eliza... Kiesberg fell to his knees saying that he did not kill her mother, Tamsin, but wouldn't deny eating her. So he was saying like, look, I did eat her because that's what she we all dead. were doing. And, yeah. you know, she was probably the most healthy out of everyone there. Mm-hmm. But I didn't kill her. Still Eliza is. forgave him, but many still believe that Kiesberg was a murderer. And the cloud of rumors hung over Kiesberg until his dying day. Yeah, I'm sure. That never goes away. No. Eliza Donner was one of the last survivors to be rescued from Donner Lake as well and was raised in the San Francisco area by an adoptive family. She married in 1861 to Sherman Houghton, uh, a widower of another Donner Party survivor. Houghton became the mayor of San Jose and a U.S. congressman, and Eliza Donner went on to write a book called The Expedition of the Donner Party and Its Tragic Fate in 1911. Wow. So she actually did pretty well, all things Yeah, it sounds like it. So after all the publicity, migration to California fell off sharply after this event, um, and the Hastings cutoff was almost never used, certainly not by larger parties. However, after gold was discovered at Sutter's Mill in 1848, a gold rush pushed 100,000 people to come to California in the areas near where the Donner Party underwent their brutal experience to go panning for gold. So it shows you money talks, baby. Yeah, seriously. Truckee Lake was renamed Donner Lake and is now a popular tourist resort. Oh. Uh Uh-huh. And the Donner Camp has undergone recent archaeological excavations and has been designated a National Historic Landmark. After examining the remains of the Donner's Alder Creek campsite in 2010, researchers announced that they were unable to find human bones or physical evidence of cannibalism. 
This is mostly because there were 13,000 unidentified tiny bone fragments, ID'd simply as mammal. It is possible that many of these are crushed human bones in which the party members were maybe trying to get a marrow or that the party members didn't eat the bones and so they were susceptible to breaking down and decaying in the acidic soil in the area. Mm. They stated that this did not rule out the cannibalism um especially due to the extensive counts given by members of both the rescue party and the survivors themselves which why would you admit to that Mm -hmm. if it didn't happen kind of thing yeah so and you can see slide four we have a memorial for the victims and the daughter lake resort which you can visit today and experience the magical winter wonderland of daughter lake That is, yeah, I don't know if I would enjoy that knowing like what it's named after. Oh my God, that place has got to be so haunted. I just. A hundred percent haunted. Oh God, I would never want to. I mean, I I would want to go like for a day just to see it all and like, but I wouldn't want to stay there. Oh my God. Uh Uh-uh. No. And then the last slide you can see. Oh my Jesus Christ. (laughs) Waylon! Holy. (laughs) I. We were just talking about spooky stuff, and I just saw this figure in the corner of my eye come in the room and just, like, jump on the bed. I was like, what the fuck is that? It was Waylon. <laughs> You're like, don't eat me. <laughs> oh, my God. My heart just, like, went to my stomach. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, no. Sorry. It just really freaked me out. My hands that's, are clammy. <laughs> All right. We're almost the gen. So, in addition, there's actually evidence and oral accounts of the Washoe tribe which were a native tribe in the Tahoe region, had mm-hmm. experienced these sort of winters before and tried to approach the Donner Party with what they could offer, which is giving very much like the terror in the Erebus because they yeah. have all those like Inuit accounts of like what they went through. So um, basically they tried to approach them with what they could offer, like pine nuts, dried roots, even deer carcasses and fish. However, in most cases, the Washoe were met with hostility from the Donner Party. So, fucking figure. Right? Washoe members usually overwintered at lower elevations, but might go to higher elevations to hunt during this time period. Once the Donner Party began cannibalizing the dead, the Washoe stopped interacting with them for fear of their life and began referring to the Donner Party as not people, Hmm. which is very like not deer, you know? Yeah. Uh, The archaeological excavations at the site stated that there was evidence to support um, Washoe oral histories. The evidence included Washoe tools as well as bone fragments from local animals, animals that the Donner Party did not have the strength to kill or hunt themselves, but animals that may have been given to them by the Washoe. So, in conclusion, the Donner, the story of the Donner Party is that of true horror And it is one cemented in the American subconscious for decades and centuries to follow. However, there are so many pitfalls and mishaps that had to occur before the party reached the mountains for this kind of thing to occur. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, these individuals were families eventually ripped apart by misfortune, and they underestimated the true vastness and difficulty of the path that they had chosen to take. The West at this point was far from tamed and Manifest Destiny was merely an idea driving thousands of naive families to a land of plenty that they had, for the most part, only read about. 
In reality, the West was a hard land to travel or live in, and the lack of resources was ultimately what drove the members of the Daughter Reed Party to commit one of the ultimate atrocities of both cannibalism and murder. The sheer desperation of these that these people experienced was beyond what most human beings can ever imagine, and the survivors of this experience had to continue on with the ghosts of their actions following them at every turn. And that wraps up spooky season. <laughs> and the story of the Donner Party. So, yeah, what a good last story to wrap up spooky season. Well, but we also do have your cryptid. So, we do. I was just looking at how far away Donner Lake is from Lake Tahoe. I don't think it's that, that far. It's an hour and five minutes as the fastest route. So, it's in so. that region for sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, for our cryptid this week, we are. In Lake Tahoe, I felt that was pretty, um, you know, good to pick because, yeah. you know, we're right there. Um, but when I was looking for cryptids, I was just Googling California cryptids. Apparently, there are 24 cryptids in California. Yeah. I and it. yeah, I did not know that. So there's 24 cryptids in California. Did not know that. You got Bobo or Boo Boo, I guess. The cactus cat, the Canadian and Cuban albino shark, Central American wintosser, the coon cat, dingmau, Fresno nightcrawler, funeral mountain, shot, ghost deer, hamlet, ham bum, hog bear. I can't pronounce some of these words. Lone pine mountain devil, Sasquatch, obviously, Riverside monster. Uh, You know, there's just all these Napa rebobs, rebobs, whatever that is. Um, but what we're talking about today is the Tahoe Tessie, which I feel Mm. like it's kind of not redundant, but like we've already talked about like the lake monster. So this is just another lake monster. Uh huh. So it's a cryptozoological creature, which supposedly resides in North America's largest alpine lake, which is Lake Tahoe Mm -hmm. in California. It's also like, does it also go into Tahoe on the line it is on the line because it's pretty close to Reno I think yeah it like it's like 75 percent California 25 percent Nevada cool 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 so yeah we're we're talking about Tahoe Tessie today so I'm also on the scripted fandom page that's like an arm of wiki I guess scripted Uh wiki the origin, it, t- it says, tales of the lake dwelling creature can be traced to stories told by members of the Washoe, Washoe and Peyote tribes. Is that how mm-hmm. what you said earlier, too? Washoe. Yeah. And Paiute, P-A-I-U-T-E. Yeah. Yeah. So stories are traced back to those two tribes in the mid-19th century, stating that the creature resides in an underwater tunnel beneath Cave Rock, and sightings have continued into modern day. Tessie is described as being between the size of a bean to the size of a bus. So very uh, <laughs> wide, wide range here. Yeah. Having that has a large serpentine body as wide across as a barrel uh-huh. and coloration ranging from jet black to turquoise. So again, another type of <laughs> range in color. Yeah. Um, its skin is usually described as smooth despite having reptilian features. And now we're going to get into the sightings. Okay. In the 1950s, 
Two off-duty police officers out on the lake reported seeing a large black hump rise from the water and keep speed with the boat going over 60 miles per hour. (laughs) According to an anonymous witness on, quote, Weird California, I guess that's a news article or web page, they're quoted saying, myself along with three others watched a large serpent-like creature feeding slash hunting in a school of large trout. It was in the middle of winter in 1979 off the dock at Homewood. It was about as big around as a telephone pole and maybe 30 inches to 60 inches in length. Or not okay. inches, that's feet. It didn't swim like a snake's, which they meant like, you know, side to side serpentine mm-hmm. kind of swimming. Um, it was diving up and splashing down with its head and neck into the school of fish, which were leaping out of the water ahead of it. Mm-hmm. So clearly some prey and predator interaction happening yeah we were speechless for several minutes afterwards and in the 1980s two fishermen reported seeing a 15 foot long serpent pass underneath the surface of the water near cave rock so who knows but apparently several weeks after two divers reported finding an underwater cave and a creature shot out leaving the silt stirred where the creature had been there were two large fin prints Sometime in the late 1990s, a kayaking instructor reported seeing a glance of what looked like a green two-person kayak flip over and immediately sink. When he approached the area in a speedboat, there were no traces of the kayak and his students did not report flipping over at any time. In 2004, an off-duty bartender on the Tahoe Queen took a picture of a black hump in the water, which he claims is the top of the creature's head. In 2006, a family vacationing near Tahoe cited a large black scale lacking creature appearing appearing similar to a sturgeon with an Mm. upturned white nose near lake tahoe's dark shore however the creature moved up and down like a mammal instead of side to side like a reptile Mm. there has been rumored tussie footage which is reportedly being analyzed before being released to the public explain so then we get into the explanations yeah um also side note one of the things that i was reading which i think it's still on my phone was jacques cousteau also saw Tahoe Tessie and like took video or something or photo of it. And he pretty much was like, this is too much for the general public to see. You guys don't need to see this right now. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, okay, Jacques Cousteau. All right. So this has like more credibility than the Bear Lake monster for sure. Yeah. Yeah, Um, And it seems like being a hoax. Yeah. And it seems like every, I don't know, like, between two and ten years there's like a sighting yeah. so yeah. i was thinking and, sturgeon or pike the whole time though i'm like what yeah. if like the reflection of the water made it look like it was longer than it actually was it could be i mean yeah. things in the water always look a lot bigger you know yeah right. um what are our so, explanations explanations there's been many theories surrounding Tahoe Tessie, the most popular being that it's either a plesiosaur, mm. ichthyosaur, or a mosasaur due okay. to fossils of the creatures being found in the surrounding Nevada desert uh-huh. and, and also in the Sierra Nevada mountains. These theories are quickly dismissed by many Tessie experts, stating that the lake was formed in the last ice age, long after the creatures went extinct. Right. Other theories say that it might be anything from a population of sturgeon to a new species of freshwater eel. Mm. But in popular media, Tahoe Tessie is a popular logo for many Tahoe-based companies, with a cartoon version being in many children's picture books and a popular character featured in local newspapers. Uh. There's even, or I guess 
there used to be a local museum and hotline, but they're both closed now. Mm -hmm. So that's the story of the Tahoe Tessie. That's the cryptid in the the Tahoe area. If you're on Lake Tahoe and you see something weird, let us know. I feel like it's probably just a really big sturgeon because I'm looking at some of these photos that they captured and they definitely like it looks like it's their the turgeon sturgeon scutes you know like the bony plates that it has let me see and like they don't yes they don't swim like dolphins but they definitely have more of a capability to bend their bodies in that way than like other fish do yeah Um, like yeah the one photo where it's like sepia toned it does look like little scoots yeah I mean, I can't say that that's an explanation for everything that has been witnessed, but like I'm looking at pictures of sturgeon right now and I could see why you would feel that way. <laughs> about sturgeon. Yeah, just just a, from a fish biologist, that's my own personal perspective. But I like the fact that this one, like even Jacques Cousteau was like, no, it's real. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what I was laughing when I saw that. I was like, OK. Like, we need to have somebody that's, like, credible telling us not to calm down. Like, that's great. (laughs) But, like, even if there was, like, a plesiosaur, like, why wouldn't you share that with the public? I feel like that would be... That's what I was thinking. I was like, (laughs) we need to know about this shit, Jacques Cousteau. Yeah, like... if you're a true scientist and it was a plesiosaur, like if it was for real, like I'd be telling everybody because first of all, it's just something of great scientific significance. It could just skyrocket my career into insanity, but also right? because like people swim there <laughs> and boat there. So yeah, you kind of need to know, but you know, my opinions about like, like having isolated populations of dinosaurs is highly unlikely. Yeah. Um, I'm super curious though. Like, I don't know. Like I could see if like the Megalodon was still a thing, possibly somewhere, somehow. Yeah, but they have the whole ocean to hide. Exactly. It's not like a lake. <laughs> like Tahoe's not that big. Yeah. Um. So I found the site. It's California.com, which is where it talks about like the California cryptids. And this one says that... It's compared to the Loch Ness Monster, Tahoe Tessie is said to appear in public at least 12 times per year. So I feel like the amount of times that it's cited per year also says a lot. That's like once per month, you know, like I feel like all these other cryptids, it's kind of like, oh, I saw it once back in like 1950. Yeah. And then like no one else has seen it or like maybe it was another there was another moment like a couple years later that like one other person saw but. 12 times per year like that's a lot that happens yeah pretty frequently that's why i'm like it's a sturgeon it's just a bunch of sturgeons yeah so lake tahoe is also 1645 feet deep Mm -hmm. so That's, that's pretty deep yeah so i think when it comes to like marine life that's in or like freshwater marine life that's in lakes like, I don't know. How deep does a sturgeon go? Because I'm just thinking, like, if a fish lives pretty far deep down mm-hmm. and, like, they surface once a month, like, what are they surfacing for? Probably food, right? Yeah. But, like, I don't know. They clearly have, like, a wide range of yeah. ground. Like um, I said, I, I don't think it explains everything for sure. Yeah, I just think cryptids are fun to, like, think about. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I'm just a skeptic, uh, so. <laughs> yeah, I know. 
theories state the sightings of mythical sea monsters are bountiful, ranging from a 60-foot serpentine-like creature to a giant fish-like monster lurking in the waters. The Washoe and Paiute tribes were the first to talk about the monsters, which were later mentioned by French oceanographer Jacques Cousteau. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Cousteau said that the world was not ready to face what was under the water and refused to release his footage. Oh. <laughs> you guys aren't ready for this shit. I'm just gonna gate. I wonder how legit that is. I know, right? I was like, if they got him in on this game, that's pretty funny. Yeah, it's not impossible that there's some species that we haven't like found yet, but I doubt that it's actually like a legitimate dinosaur. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it says the last thing it says is just like regardless of the countless urban legends with reports of more than a dozen sightings each year and famous oceanographers' footage. Tessie has still yet to be determined as real or fake. But I mean, like, I don't know. I just can't get over the fact that it's seen, like, so frequently. But not all of them sound like, you know, like that one family basically described a sturgeon. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting, though. It is very interesting. So that's. I was actually wondering, since it's spooky season, maybe we hold off on cryptids until next spooky season. But maybe instead we could talk about you could find like one species from the region that we're talking about to to like talk about conservation and stuff like that yeah totally i can do that for sure like in the same way but but in a more like for factual (laughs) like legitimate animals (laughs) yeah like hey this animal is like a little bit threatened so maybe like do these things to help yeah yeah (laughs) I don't know, just a thought that could be fun if you wanted to continue this kind of um, section, because I'm enjoying it. Um, Me too, it's fun. Yeah. Some weird stuff at the end. Yeah. All right, well, what are your happy things this week? It's funny you ask, because I was on the bathroom break thinking about my happy things, and I, I don't know what to tell you, because, like... I had I'm like in the last week before like our major event happens, so I guess my happy thing is that this event planning is going to be done <laughs> soon. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, I just like I don't even know. Like I'm so tired. I know. Like happy things are like doing stuff around the house. I guess like okay. Christmas is coming. Yeah. Like I am the person where Halloween is over, and the next day I'm like, all right, Christmas music. <laughs> like I I have no shame in saying that the other day when I was driving, I had a christmas song stuck in my head so i played it and then yeah. i started listening to christmas music when i was trying for it yeah and then like on hulu all the christmas like lifetime movies are on and this yeah. morning i was like oh i don't know what to play like ooh, christmas movies and yeah i put one on my boyfriend was like are you did you really put this on right now and i was like, <laughs> like yes like yeah i did like you're going to work it doesn't matter like <laughs> it's like here i'll just spare you though real quick i'll watch it when you're not home it's funny because I'm the kind of person who like can't let spooky season go. I'm like, no, let's keep watching horror movies and making pumpkin cookies. No. Yeah. Um, and Corey's the kind of person where once Halloween's over, it's over. No Christmas until after Thanksgiving. That's the rule. So I don't decorate until after like, but I do decorate the day after Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. I'm like ready to go. I've been looking at Christmas decorations online and like my boyfriend was a little in shock when I spent like almost $300 on Halloween decorations and what I didn't say as a response 
was if I can spend almost three hundred dollars on Chris or on Halloween decorations, just imagine what yeah. I can spend on Christmas decorations. <laughs> I really want a twelve foot skeleton. Have you seen those damn things? I someone in my neighborhood has them, and like it's so big that they just leave it in their yard and they dress it up per season. That's exactly what I fucking <laughs> want to do. Like it's so so great. I want it so bad. So when we get like a permanent living situation, I'm gonna buy one of those bad boys. Yeah, <laughs> we thought about getting one for Halloween this year because we have like a regular six foot skeleton. Uh-huh. And I was like, how funny would it be if like we had that skeleton like as the 12 foot skeleton's baby? Just, yeah, like, like holding it. We made it. it like a thing. <laughs> yeah. Just, like I made it like a family affair. But um, but yeah, I, I I'm more of like a inside and outside decorator. So <laughs> just all of it. <laughs> I'm all of it. So my happy thing, I guess, is although we have a couple of weeks of intense work and other traveling that has to happen uh we're going to big bend at the end of this month oh that's um, gonna be super fun yeah and it's not gonna be hot which is good yeah <laughs> i found out the other day that that park is the third deadliest national park in the u.s what <laughs> because, why because of the heat in the summer because oh. it's a it's the desert you know yeah but what are we you guys doing like, there camping we're going to camp and then um, do like hiking and stuff. And that park actually has mountains. They're desert oh, cool. mountains, but there are mountains there. Yeah. And then we're going to go up to Martha, Texas, which is that like art, big art town. That's like literally just in the middle of West Texas. And cool. um, we're going to hang out there for a little bit before we head back home. Nice. So, and also my brother is moving to Texas Oh, that's so fun. Yeah, he's going to be far away? stationed at Fort Hood. Okay. Um, which is like four hours from us. But we could definitely meet up a lot of places. Um, and it's really not that bad of a drive. Because, I mean, we, we've driven up to Dallas before. And that's six hours. Yeah, I was going to say four hours. is like he can like totally come over for a weekend or like mm-hmm. Thanksgiving or something. Yeah. Yeah, we're trying to make that happen. We'll see with his leave situation, but um, so that's that's nice. That is nice. Yeah, my mom um, told me the other day that she's trying to put the bug in my dad's ear for them to move to like the Gulf Coast of Florida somewhere. So I was like, oh, okay, well, that's great. You know, whatever <laughs> you guys want to do. I mean, it would be nice to have my parents closer for sure, but yeah. I yeah. was like, as I asked him if my brother was going to have a problem with it because, like, he's the one that has children, you know? Right, right. But my mom was like, I think he's accepted that we're not ever going to live in California. So, <laughs> taxes. I mean, fair. And then when he comes to visit, then he can see all of you all at once. You know? Are you kidding me? My brother does not visit me. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, now that we have... A closed spooky season. Um, we've got some good ones, some cold survival stories coming up to celebrate the holidays. <laughs> so where can our listeners find us? Our listeners can find us on social media at Mother Nature Will Kill You Podcast on Instagram, MNWKY Podcast on Twitter. We have a website, Mother Nature Will Kill You Podcast.com, where you can listen to us there. And we are also on all streaming platforms if you would like to listen to us. So we're on Spotify, Apple, Google, what have you. 
we're everywhere. And um, if you want to submit your own personal survival story, doesn't have to be that you went on the worst family trip of all time and ate your brother. But if you did, we want to hear about it. Um, or if you're related to the Donners, we really want to hear about it. Um, Super but interesting. Yeah, it can be just a time that you were uncomfy in nature or things got a little sketchy. Um, we want to hear about that. So please submit that to um, our website uh, has a story submission page and you can just send those off to us or you can send them to our email. Um If you want to help out the podcast but don't have any money because we live in a capitalist hellscape and we spend our money on Halloween decorations, (laughs) you can can, uh, give us a five-star review on any of our listening platforms to help bump us up the algorithm. And real quick before we go, because I keep forgetting to do these, here are my citations for all of the Daughter Party stuff. So Mm -hmm. this episode and last episode. Um... The Tragic Story of the Donner Party by Kathy Weiser on legendsofamerica.com. The Donner Party from Encyclopedia Britannica. Here's what happened to the surviving members of the Donner Party by Genevieve Carlton on All That Is Interesting. How Louis Kiesberg was branded the killer cannibal of the Donner Party by Michelle DeBrzak on Mental Floss. Um, And then The Donner Party Diary from December 1846 to January 1847. And this website is run by Daniel M. Rosen. And it's a collection of the Donner Party Diaries. Um, a new look at the Donner Party by, and this is a, a sign, well, it's about a scientific article um, researched by Juliet Skoblitsky in 2012. And it's an archaeology magazine. And then okay. a big things to TikTok, um, uh, content creator um, that thing I do and she has a really good series on the Donner Party um, and those are all my my sources nice my um, sources are I closed out of it but it was cryptid wikipedia cryptid.wiki mm-hmm. and then the other one was so just <laughs> california.com that's where I found that one gotcha all right, um, so we're going to be getting into the holiday season. Uh, we're going to be giving you some chilly little stories, and I'm actually really excited about the next couple ones. They're going to be really good. Um, yeah. So, but with that, we'll wrap this up. Um, until next time, stay safe, but most of all, stay curious, explorers. See you later. Goodbye.